Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The John Frickin' Meerpod is stoked to partner with Garage Grown Gear for Season 6 of the podcast. Garage Grown Gear, or GGG for short, is your online store for all things ultralight backpacking. Dedicated to supporting the growth of small and cottage brands, they've got everything you need all in one place. From ultralight accessories to dehydrated meals to your big three, Garage Grown Gear has everything you need to lighten your load. Based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, GGG is known for its commitment to providing quality ultralight gear, stellar customer service, and free shipping and returns over $40. Do yourself a favor and get your gear at GGG. Fear is always there. You just need to know how to manage it. Jimmy Chin. If it's going to eat you, you hope that it gets full before you're, you're dead. That's kind of, kind of or, or try and fight it, but you're probably not going to be able to fight it off if it's hungry enough to, to eat you can try but um maybe maybe if you have a knife or something like that but a lot of times just protect your neck protect your, try and keep on your belly so that your vital organs are are protected um and then hope hope it kind of wanders off and there's 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 been reports of of people like having part of their arm eaten by a bear and then being able to call for help and then and surviving um if, if people want some like really good information but some grisly stories about bears the the book bear attacks by steven herrero is pretty solid he basically analyzes every bear encounter over the last like 100 years um all the deaths and negative encounters as well as what's worked for people surviving and there's a lot of very very good info in there i'm doc and this is hiker trash radio 
Hey, is this thing on? Hello? Hit it again. I think it's on now. <clears throat> Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, where each week, Doc will drag some colorful characters out of the woods to talk trail and type 2 fun. If you're aspiring hiker trash, or if you're just looking to understand the hiker trash in your life, look no further. So lace up those boots, gnaw on some jerky, and settle into your 20-mile pace as we fire up the podcast from somewhere deep in the backcountry. It's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirtbags, hiker trash, and of course, good smelling day hikers. I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, if you like what we're doing here, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and if you don't like it, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, a through hiker with a passion for protecting the outdoors, Justin Hick. How's it going, Justin? It's going great. Thanks, thanks for having me, Doc. I love your, I love your backdrop. Love a good mountain backdrop. Yeah, that is Evolution Lake with Mount Darwin and Mount Mendel on, uh, oh, on this side. There you go. It's it's mirrored on my on my feet, so it's always tough for me to figure out which way I'm pointing <laughs> with the background behind me. Nice. Where 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 is that? That's in the Sierras. That's off of the John Muir Trail. Okay, perfect. Uh, now that tell me, us about your sense. background. If, if our listeners are just listening and they're not tuning in on YouTube, they have no idea what we're talking about. But Justin, <laughs> yeah, describe describe what's behind you. Yeah, so I, I'm in the I'm in the Canadian Rockies, and I snapped this photo kind of in the in the. As you're entering in the Canadian Rockies, you you get this kind this kind of the all the rivers coming through, and then some beautiful mountains in the backdrop. So, um, I'm standing on a bridge, taking a picture over over the river with with the mountains in the backdrop, and um, I love this shot. Just everything kind of turned out nicely with it, and it's pretty. It's I'm pretty lucky to have the Canadian Rockies right in my backyard, um, living here in Calgary, and being able to get out there within 45 minutes. Yeah, that is glorious to look like look at. Uh, you must get sick of that view. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> now, Justin, you've you've put a lot of trail, uh, a lot of miles under your 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 shoes. There, um, have you picked up a trail name along the way? I I haven't. So the the only through hike I've done is the Great Divide Trail, and I started a month after the bubble. So most people start that trail at the beginning of July. I started at the beginning of August, and just I, I i didn't see anybody really so i i never was able to pick up a trail name um there's times where i spent between six and eight days alone without seeing another human um and that was that was just kind of the way the way it was <laughs> nice i mean there, there's something to be said about uh hiking and having nobody else around i mean it is it is a surreal just epic experience yeah, I was thinking about it when I was in those moments, and I don't think there's been any other point in my life where I've spent that amount of time without seeing another another human. It's un- unprecedented, really. <laughs> okay, well, we usually go by trail names, but since you don't have one, we'll go by Justin. That's that's totally fine. Uh, are you on Are you on the market for a trail name? Um, I I feel, I feel like I need, I need to I need to earn one. See okay. uh see see what comes along on trail. I know my my friend Jesse who hiked the Great Divide Trail at the same time as me, but was a little bit ahead. Um, he 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 toyed around with a few, but none of them none of them really really stuck. So I think I think yeah, we'll see we'll see what happens. Maybe uh, I'll get on another out on another long trail and uh, something will something will stick. Okay. Hey Justin, have you had a chance to listen to the John Freaking Muir Pod before? I haven't I haven't had a chance yet. It's, oh, it's so on my you, list, though. I have, I have it followed, and into. it's. I, I don't. I have no idea. This is. I, I actually kind of enjoy it. I, I, 
I know when guests come on my podcast, they say, oh, I, I haven't listened before. I'm like, that's okay. You just, you're coming in fresh and uh, that's right. everything's going to be a, be a bit of a surprise to you and you get that fresh reaction. So it's, uh, yeah, it's always addressing. Nice. Nice. Well, I want to give you, give you a heads up that we have a segment towards the end of the podcast called the hiking hack. And that's where you get to share some of your trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there, have something ready to go. Okay. I, I already have one. It's good. Okay. All right. Hey, don't, don't give it up early. If you give it up oh, early, you, you, know, you have to come up with a new one at the end. So, <laughs> all right. Trailblazers toolkit. That's right. It's time for the trailblazers toolkit sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company, six moon designs. Justin, I love to talk about gear on the podcast and I love to hear about the most important item in my guest adventure gear. If you were preparing for your next adventure and I was the one providing you with all your gear, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? Give me all the specifics and tell me why you've got to have it out there. This can be any type of item. It could be gear. It could be apparel. It could be a luxury item. So Justin, what is that item in your toolkit? So that's that's going to be my backcountry bidet. That's been a game changer for me. I switched over probably about a year, a year ago. Um, and then about eight months ago, I started using it all the time. Unless there's a scenario where I have to use toilet paper, I'm using the backcountry bidet and it, I feel so much cleaner. I'm not having to kind of take little baths or use wet wipes. I'm, it's better for leave no trace. And yeah, it's it's been a game changer for me and I'd never leave home with the other again. I am always so excited when my guest says that, the, you know, we talk about bidets, that they use bidets. I am fascinated by this. I am fascinated. I said in the intro that you are passionate about protecting the outdoors. This, of course, is is one way to do that because you're not you're not burying paper out there in the in the backcountry, and so yep. you're using the backcountry bidet. I have questions. I always have questions about this. You know about you know how long did it take to perfect your aim with the with the backcountry <laughs> bidet? Does it really work? I mean, is it is it just as good as toilet paper in terms of you know getting clean? You know, lots lots of questions out there. I, oh, I, how how much of the nitty gritty do you want? Because I I can get pretty graphic with this, and uh, I I guess the short answer is I feel a lot cleaner. It's it's essentially like having a little a little bath for your butt um, mm-hmm. while you're out there, and it it took some practice. Like I was, it was probably a solid three to four month months of consistent use and practicing at home in the in the shower and and trying to get everything figured out so that there wasn't like just giant spray of of feces everywhere and. Um, that I was getting clean and getting everything off, but the the what the big difference maker for me was introducing soap and then just essentially using one hand as kind of the like cl- to clean everything up. So I have one hand holding a water bottle, getting water introduced into that area, and then the other hand with soap um, is is cleaning things up. And then I wash wash my hands afterwards thoroughly, and then throw on some hand sanitizer, and and everything's nice and clean. Um, but it, like every, everywhere. Yeah, it's great. Okay. You know, I, I enjoy getting into the nitty gritty. If our guests find this a little distasteful, just fast forward a couple of minutes. We'll, we'll still be here. And I'll, I'll <laughs> maybe I'll put an E on the on the episode as you know, explicit. <laughs> you know, these, th- this is stuff that people want to know. How do you use a bidet? So I like, I like the fact that you use it in the shower ahead of time. Practice with it. Practice makes perfect. And it yep. sounds like with, with the other hand involved, it's almost like you're in the shower on, on any normal day and you're, you're washing your your regions, right? And you, you, mm-hmm. you wash your hands afterwards. So, you know, exactly. if, there's, if there's more to it than that and, and there's more nitty gritty detail, please, by all means, get into it. 
I, th- I think that a lot of people, when when you when they see the bidet and they see the the kind of usually a lot of them have just a little nozzle on it that looks like it's going to spray water and it can spray water at a very high velocity. Um, the other the other thing was I I stopped really like spraying the water very really hard because that just resulted in a poo explosion everywhere and that was it was pretty messy. <laughs> so I yeah I I now I just kind of gently introduce water from from above so i'm not like holding it in front of me i'm holding it behind me um and then kind of putting it at the t- the water's going to the top of the crack kind of funneling funneling into the danger zone and um yeah the other hand comes in and uh, something to like make it a little bit more similar to being at home and having a shower is i now use a kula cloth to just kind of dry up afterwards and because there's soap and water involved and everything's hygienic um that can be reused and just kind of to dry everything out so you don't have to stand there with your your butt in the air drying off with with air drying now justin i'm always entertained by you know what i encounter during the course of my day that i didn't expect when i woke up this morning <laughs> i can tell you that i did not expect to hear the these these phrases i did not expect to hear giant spray of feces i didn't <laughs> expect to hear poo explosion or funneling it into the danger zone I mean, those, that is, that is great. My life, my life is complete right now. Fantastic. I'm glad you summarized those because I it didn't click. Uh, those are some good ones. Those are some good phrases. <laughs> That's right. And you know, this is dangerous because I'm always on the lookout during the episode, during the interview, I'm looking for the trail name of the episode, right? So somewhere, somewhere in our yeah. conversation, I'm going to pick out a phrase that really resonates with me and, and kind of the substance of this interview. I hope it's not poo explosion. I, that's that's what I was just thinking. I was like, please, please, fingers crossed, don't be poo explosion. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll we gotta look out for something else. All right, yeah. fantastic. So, is, is is that the brand name of the bidet? Is it is it Backcountry Bidet? Uh, it's it's a cool. The one I like the most is the Kulo Clean. It's it's very easy. Just it goes on any water bottle. So I just use I use smart water bottles when I'm out there. Um, so you just un, unscrew the cap, stick the Kulo Clean in there, and then um, you can you can use that. It's it's probably it weighs under an ounce, so it's very very lightweight. Um, there's a couple other ones that are similar in lightweight usage, and there's dedicated ones that you can get too that are more geared towards people who use them at home or while they're traveling. But I like the simplicity of the of the Kulo Clean. Okay, has there ever been a horrifying accident where you forgot to take the bidet off and then you took a drink out of it later? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> okay, because right. the, the the way that I wash my hands is I take the Kulo Clean out and then I drink the water that's left in the bottle. And then I slowly just kind of like not really spit it out of my mouth, but then I just, I just kind of trickle it out of my mouth over my hands so I can use both hands in order to wash my hands with this, with the soap. Otherwise it's really hard to like be pouring water with one hand, trying to like one hand scrub. It's yeah. That's well, Justin, I appreciate this conversation because we've talked about bidets a few times on the podcast and I've always had a very kind of nebulous idea of what is actually going on. I have a, for better or worse, I have a very clear picture of you in this whole process of how it all works. So thank you. Perfect. I think it's it's important to kind of take, remove the curtain from the whole process because I think there's a lot of people just have troubles picturing what it is or they go out there and they they try it out in a way that they think is going to work and then things things go badly. And most people out there aren't going to spend three to four months trying to perfect this system like I did. <laughs> so yeah, happy to share. We love to learn from our guests. Excellent. All right. Hey, I love talking about gear and to keep us talking about gear. It's the Hawking Pole. 
the hiking pole. And that's pole spelled P-O-L-L, like a survey, not like the thing mm. you hold in your hand out there. I explain that to every, in every episode, I explain it just like that, because I think I'm pretty darn clever coming up with a hiking pole on a hiking podcast. And your pretty reaction good. is pretty standard. It, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. Okay. What, what's the big deal? <laughs> okay. Yeah. You, you're, you're not that clever. Got it. <laughs> it was good. It was good. I like Thank a good pun. <laughs> Now, this is a seven-question survey that helps me give you a score on the sanity scale from one to 100, Mm -hmm. with one being completely insane and 100 being completely sane. Now, anybody who's done a long trail like the Great Divide Trail, there's an automatic 25-point deduction. So your your top (laughs) score possible tonight is 75. What's what's the average? What's the uh, the median uh, oh, man. score? <laughs> it, it, you know, it really depends on who I'm talking to. Yeah, I talk I, ta- I, I talked to some people who initially before I start the interview, I'm thinking I was a little biased that I think oh, this person is going to be really out there, and they score you know sixty or seventy. And others who I thought were really sane when I started talking to them, I get down to the nitty gritty and they're like in the thirties. So it's it's uh it's kind of hit and miss. Interesting. All right. Do you, yeah, you, do you have one this. written down? Do you have a guess written down right now for where I'm gonna where I'm gonna end up before we well, go through the survey? Typically, what I what I do is I ask my guests. You know, if I were to ask a close friend or a family member where they would put you on that scale, you know, where where, where do you think they would say? Uh, that's that's a tough one because I think I think people who know me in my hiking life would probably say close to like thirty, but people who don't know my hiking life would probably say like eighty. So it's. It's a, it's so in, in the normal in the normal world in air quotes there you come across as a pretty normal guy pretty yeah sane. yeah a, a little weird but sane yeah yeah you fit in for the most part <laughs> okay well i'll be the judge of that uh the, the, there's no rhyme or reason to this the, the, i'm gonna ask you seven questions they're all hiking related and you know some of the answers there's no right answer you're crazy either way but it's just <laughs> you know how many points you lose uh uh, depending which direction you go. Sounds good. Okay. Question number one, easy one. Uh, when you're out there hiking, trekking poles or no trekking poles? Trekking poles. And we always prefer a little explanation to help me uh, adjust my score. Okay. So it's not, not necessarily rapid fire. It's okay. That's right. I, yeah. part, partly I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting up there in age. I'm turning 37 this year and the knees aren't what they used to be. So I like the trekking poles to take some load off the body. I feel a lot better at the end of the day, but I also use trekking pole tents. So it makes just kind of makes sense to have the trekking poles for my body as well as the setting up the tents afterwards. So yeah, two birds, one stone. All right. And I got news for you. 37 is not getting up there. Not yet. I feel up there sometimes. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Question number two, what's on your feet, boots or trail runners? Trail runners. And that's par- par- partly because for the same kind of reason, it just feels a lot better on my body. I've had issues with plantar fasciitis as well as ankle issues. Um, and I find the trail runners just have my feet feeling happier as well as kind of my entire posterior chain when I'm out there. Um, and there's just, I haven't found a, I, I, I wear hiking boots in the wintertime and then kind of in shoulder season if it's wet. But if I had my, my druthers, I'd be wearing trail runners when I'm out there all the time. All right. Now you are the second Canadian that I've interviewed that used the term shoulder season. And I have to confess, <laughs> I had never heard of shoulder season prior to that interview with, with Mark Scott. And, okay. and I asked him, I said, what is shoulder season? And he was kind of like, you know, he didn't have a clear definition of shoulder season. I think he kind of got to it. 
Um, I, of course, I didn't know what it was, and I looked it up afterwards. And so, do you, I mean, do you have a a definition for shoulder season? Uh, my my like knee jerk definition is the the season of the part of the year that kicks your butt in a big way because you, you don't know what you, it's going to be out there condition wise. It could be cold. It could be snowing. It could be raining. Um, you never really know what you're going to get. Uh, but it, it's I, I guess technically it's probably the time in between winter and summer where you do kind of have that nebulous, that nebulous season change. That's right. It's kind of off peak. It's not, it's not peak season. So it's kind of in between like that. Very good. Nice mm-hmm. job, Justin. You, you passed that question. It didn't count towards the survey, but you passed that. question. <laughs> All right. Do you have a favorite brand of trail runners? I use uh Hoka speed goats. So Hoka, I, I like, I wouldn't say like Hoka is my favorite brand of trail runners, but the speed goats are my favorite trail running shoe that I've used. I've tried um, a whole bunch of different ones. That one just fits my foot well and then has good, good, uh, good traction and breathability dries fast. Yeah. It's got a lot of grip to it. I I have a pair of speed goat fives that I I picked up for a trail marathon that I ran a few weeks ago and, you know, no break-in period whatsoever. I mean, they, you put them on and you can, you can just go. I mean, you're, they're, they're excellent shoes. Exactly. Yeah, that that the mega grip, fiber mega grip is is magical. I I love that stuff. All right. Question number three: When it comes to overnight and shelters, are you tent guy, tarp, hammock, bivy, or hey, let's just cowboy camp? Tent. I like I like tents. I have a, I have oh, a said, few different tents, but yeah. So it, it depends on the option. I've, I've never um, I've never hammock cat camped. Um, biv, bivvies. I just I, I feel like with the weight. Like, I don't, I don't think I even know of a bivy that is lighter than kind of like a Dyneema ultralight tent. Um, or they're very similar, at least. So most of the time I'm using an ultralight Dyneema tent when I'm out there. If, I, if I'm trying to go ultralight, if I'm if I'm out kind of on a comfort trip or if I'm if I'm with my fiance, then I'll bring, bring a, a much bigger tent or just have more have more space and, and be comfortable. Right now, what uh, what is your trekking pole tent? What brand? So I usually use the Z-Pax Plex Solo. That's that's been my go-to. Um, I like the fact that because it uses one trekking pole, if one of my trekking poles breaks, then I have redundancy with my second trekking pole. And um, I know people their trekking poles have broken, and sometimes there's you're not in an area. It, maybe you're in the desert or something where you can't get a stick, or you're camping in the Alpine area. Um, yeah, so I really like that redundancy. But I, I recently tested out the Durston XMid Two Pro, and that that tent kind of blew me away. Um, it uses two trekking poles, which isn't ideal for me, but it's super spacious. It's, it's lightweight, like really well designed. And I have a feeling that tent might replace the duplex as the most popular tent on the long trails over the next couple of years, because it's, it's really, really refined. Yeah. Durston is really, I'm hearing their name more and more. I mean, they are, they're an up and comer. Yeah. And, and Dan, Dan lives down the road from me. He's like a four hour, hour drive into the mountains um fellow canadian guy so like to like to support him as well as i, I he's hiked the great divide trail a whole bunch of times and um, one of these days i'm gonna go visit him at his shop and, and kind of chat gear for a while <laughs> nice we exchanged some uh some dms on instagram about possibly being an advertiser and he politely declined i should have figured he was canadian because he was very polite about it and uh, <laughs> still I, I i like to give him a, a shout out out there because he, he makes some good product yeah, yeah. Probably, probably threw some thank yous and sorries in there with the, with the DMs, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Question number four. When it comes to sleeping, you sleeping bag guy or quilt? 
quilt 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 for three season um sleeping bag in the in the winter time because up here it gets down to minus 40 pretty often so um they don't really make quilts for that kind of temperature but quilt quilt in the summer all the time now what is the coldest has been when you've been out hiking uh minus 50 degrees celsius which is i think like minus 60 degrees fahrenheit somewhere in there so i, I i've done that's, i've done that twice you were out hiking in minus 60 that was the overnight temperature so i get it was it was like minus just a, a bit warmer than minus 40 when i was hiking holy smokes what is your, what does your kit look like in minus 60 what are you what are you wearing and what are you sleeping in it's it's heavy it's probably about a 45 to 50 pound pack um i'm wearing a full full parka with um like fur hood and then another synthetic puffy underneath that and then uh fleece and then mer- like a merino wool or synthetic um and then same kind of th- same kind of layering on the pants um and then you're all the time you basically are getting to camp setting up camp eating and then and then going to bed because it's it's you can't really sit around um in those kind of temperatures you have to be getting your sleeping bag and then you're in your sleeping bag for the next 14 to 16 hours because it's there's not a lot of daylight <laughs> Now that is the danger zone. You're talking minus 60, you know, anything goes wrong. I mean, you're, you're in a lot of trouble. Well, yeah, the, the, the coldest trip that I did where it, where it hit that my car, the oil in my car froze. Um, so I, I wasn't able to drive, drive out my, my girlfriend had to come pick me up. Um, and then I had to drive back out into the mountains to get my car once it warmed up to, to a balmy minus 20 degrees Celsius. Now that is a true test of love. If you get your girlfriend to come out and pick you up in that kind of weather. Yeah, exactly. And that, that, that trip, I just, just so people don't think I'm, I'm reckless. I, I was very careful. I had my, my inReach with me, which I kept on me and warm all the time. And I was about, um, three, three kilometers or like a mile and a bit into the back country, but also just down the road from the emergency services response team for the, that mountain area. So if I had pressed the SOS, they probably could have been at my location within like within an hour for sure. So that was all planned. <laughs> Minus 60 for an hour. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Hey, when it comes to food, stove guy, cold soak or stoveless? Uh, stove guy. Yeah. I've tried cold soaking and I've, I've, unless I'm solo, I've been banned from cold soaking with all the people that I backpack with because uh, otherwise I have to hike at the back of the line. It just doesn't, doesn't sit well with my insides and uh, <laughs> dropping landmines the entire, the entire time I'm hiking with it. There you go. There's another t- episode title dropping landmines. <laughs> I sense, I sense a theme on this episode. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's important. You got to, got to keep your insides and the outsides of your insides running along at a, at, at a in a good way. Yeah, I mean, there's two main topics on the trail when you're out there for extended periods. You're, you're talking about what you're going to eat when you get back to civilization, and you're talking about bodily functions. Yeah. Right? I mean... It's true. That's, that's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number six, is life better above or below the tree line? Above above the tree line. I, I, like, I like getting up there, and I like... There's nothing... For me, there's, there's nothing quite like a really good ridge walk. Like you get above the tree line, you're walking on some sort of ridge um, for the day and it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I love that. Okay. Me too. 
good answer. It, that that's one of those questions where there's no there's no right answer. I agree with you on it, but you know we're we're a little bit crazy to you know prefer life at that altitude. So yeah, well it, here the the altitude is pretty low in the Canadian Rockies. Like it it maxes out at eleven thousand feet. Um, so we don't have any anything above that. And those are like the big peaks. Most time, most of the time, people are staying under probably under nine thousand feet, kind of between eight thousand and nine thousand. So we're not getting hit with a lot of elevation sickness and and things like that. Um, the mountains are just rugged. Like people will come to to climb the eleven thousand eleven thousand footers here to train for like Everest and K two and stuff because of how rugged the mountains are. But this don't get the the kind of elevation training for their cardiovascular system. You Canadians, you're you're a rugged folk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, question number seven, our last question in the poll. What is more important, pack weight or luxury items? Uh, that, that's a that's a tough one. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to lean towards pack weight because, but but it's it, to a degree. Like if 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 you had a gun to my head and you had to say like sleep on. Do, would you rather sleep on a like one inch one h one eighth inch thick foam mat or bring like a three pound sleeping pad that's going to be comfortable? I would pick the comfortable sleeping pad. Um, but if it was between like uh, if I could bring an X Lite or something, then that'd be that'd be great. <laughs> so it's it's that's a, that's a tough one, yeah. Because I like getting a good night's sleep. That's the biggest thing for me. Like I want my pillow, I want my nice sleeping pad, I want my quilt. But I, I can live with like a BRS tiny titanium stove and, and stuff like that. All right. So did we get a clear, definitive answer from you on that? Uh, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say wait, just because I, I am more comfortable on trail when I'm hiking, and I'm more of a hiker than I am a camper. So if I if I have to like process it down to that, then then it's gonna be wait. Yeah. I like that analysis you did right there. I'm more of a hiker than I am a camper. And uh, so mm-hmm. that's, that's your going to go. You're going to go with pack weight. Yeah. Now, what is what is your base weight? When you're on the Great Divide Trail, what was your base weight? On the Great Divide Trail, it was 10, 10 pounds. And that was in order to be um, comfortable and, and prepared for temperatures down to uh, 20 degrees Fahrenheit, minus 6 degrees Celsius. And and it got it got that cold um, later on in the trip. So I, that it, it could have been a lot lighter if it wasn't for that. I mean, 10 pounds, if you're talking about your basic hiker out there, 10 pounds is pretty darn light. And that mm-hmm. was your, your, uh, 20 degree Fahrenheit kit. That's pretty, yeah. that's impressive. Nice job. Do you, do you break your toothbrush in half? Do you drill holes in it or do you just not bring a toothbrush? I, I, I bring like a pretty, probably a relatively heavy toothbrush. It's just a plastic folding toothbrush. I like to have a full, like I like to have a full handle in order to brush my teeth and, um, that one just kind of keeps everything protected within the folding aspect. And I just keep that I, from Jupiter hikes. I, I learned from him, like he keeps his toothpaste and toothbrush in his, um, in his like pocket accessible. And then he brushes his teeth as he's hiking in the morning. So I did that all the time. That was my, my go-to system and it works, works well. You got to, you're able to get moving very quickly. Jupiter has been on the podcast a couple of times. He is a very knowledgeable and talented guy. Yeah. He's, he's interesting. I'd love to have a conversation with him someday. <laughs> Now I was thinking as as we were talking about toothbrushing, um, you know, you could there, there's got to be a product out there that can double as both, you know, multifunction, double both as a bidet and a water pick. <laughs> I, if you invent it, I'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> try anything once. <laughs> I gotta get a trademark on that quick. 
All right. Yeah, exactly. Stand by, Justin. I got to put your answers through the John Freaking Murpod algorithm. Got to do some math here. I was an English teacher, so it takes me a little bit. Uh, say so I got to carry the two. I'm going to multiply by pi. I'm going to divide by root five. And we're going to adjust for the pucker factor of a night at negative 60 Fahrenheit. And I come up with a score of 53. Nice. That's that's pretty good. That's it's a good balance. Good balance number. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you already start off at a, a deficit of 25 points. So, I mean, you didn't lose a whole lot of points and you're just north of that, that uh, kind of that midway line. Yeah. That sounds great. What's what, what was Jupiter? I, well, I, I, I'd be, <laughs> I'd have to look back in the records. I'll, I'll see if I can get an answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd guess probably in that 30 to 40 range, especially with that one in like sleeping on one eighth inch uh, foam mats and stuff like that's That's crazy to me. And carrying a yo-yo out there. I mean, that's an automatic 10 point deduction. So that's a quarter of his base weight right there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> And, you know, I was thinking um, when I said just north of the the midpoint, since I'm talking to my friend to the north, you know, it's, it's kind of funny how language evolves and, and you know, you, when things are going south, they're going bad, right? And so it's kind of like, yeah, do I take offense at that? Now, I'm in, I'm in Southern California. Things are going south. And, you know, if, if you're talking about uh, being just north of, of you know, the, the midpoint line, that implies, you know, that's favorable, right? And so... Interesting how how words evolve like that. Well, I still can't wrap my head around the weather. Things are looking up, or you're going downhill. Things are you're going downhill, or you're like that, that whole thing still messes with me. I I sit I say it. And I'm like, wait, was that positive or negative with that? How I phrase that? Yeah, right. words yeah. words are tough. <laughs> I imagine being a Canadian, you you like that concept that north is good because I mean, you guys you guys are north. Yeah, head, 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 we're, head, we're heading north. It's a, it's a good thing. Well, a lot of the time people have their their cabins or cottages up north. So when you're heading up north, it's usually for some sort of vacation or a weekend away and things like that. <laughs> nice. All right. Hey, before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit. I'd uh, love to hear about your background, where you grew up, what kinds of sports and hobbies you played as a kid, and how did you get involved in the thru-hiking cult? So I I grew up so – now I live in the Canadian Rockies now. I grew up on the eastern – Eastern central side of, of Canada, where there's a lot of lakes and rivers. So I wasn't back, like backpacking isn't as big of a thing out there. So I started, started off doing a lot of canoeing um, and canoe tripping and went on multiple like week long canoe trips, a, a month long canoe trip. So that was, that was what I was doing growing up. Um, and then it was when I moved out here where I started backpacking because the, we have the mountains, there's not a lot of rivers out here and it's, um, yeah, backpacking is, is amazing. So, um, that's, that's been going on for about 10, 10 plus years now and fell in, fell in love with it. Always been like a hiker outdoors person. I worked in the, in the outdoors as an environmental scientist for, for most of my career, um, before quitting, quitting, quitting that to become a full-time YouTuber. Um, but that got me outside a lot, like using a lot of different gear and, and things like that. And then, I, as I was hiking and kind of pushing my limits and wanting to test myself, I started seeing like through hikes and was following Darwin and Dixie and, and those other kind of big, big through hikers and really got inspired to want to try a through hike of my own. And I was only, I, I was limited by time, um, with, with a job. So I was only able to take off about a month of work. So did that, took the time off, hiked the great divide trail and, and, and loved it. I, 
it's it's I don't know if I'd be if I'd be the type who would do like a four or five, six month trip at this at this point in my life. Um, but the Great Divide Trail, yeah, it, it was it was an amazing journey and learned a lot about myself and developed a lot of skills. It was pretty, pretty amazing. Now, do you have any brothers or sisters? I have a little sister. Yes. And is she also a YouTuber? She's not. She's uh she's she does not like the spotlight at all. She has a government job, um, lives lives out on the East Coast. And uh I, I don't know if she'd I don't know how she'd feel about being on the channel. I've had my parents on the channel. We did a trip together and I videoed them and, and they're 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 hilarious. Um but I'm not sure about my sister. I'm sure she'd be she'd be a great sport. She's she's an amazing person, but not a YouTuber. <laughs> now, um, uh, so that's always interesting to me how kids who grow up in the same household kind of end up in different places. Um, but what what did your parents what were their, what were their reaction when you said you know what environmental scientist I'm going to leave that behind so I can be a full time YouTuber? It, they weren't surprised, <laughs> and they were. It, it was it's kind of kind of yeah kind of part for the course for me i guess of of making what i think from the outside looking in it looks like kind of a a, a big decision that like is kind of rash but they, they 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 know me from growing up with me they know that i probably had about 10 spreadsheets with a plan and a bunch of different documents ready to go and had it really really kind of i like planned out um in a way that it was going to be successful so they, they weren't surprised and then they, they're supportive they they um, both ran businesses of their own when they were growing up, so they 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 thought it was a great idea and um, were right behind me the whole way. How many followers on YouTube? Uh, it's up to it's like sixty eight thousand, I think now, somewhere yeah, congr- in there. Congratulations! And are you are you living yeah. comfortably? Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. It's um be- better better than an environmental so- uh, scientist salary, which is which is good and. At this point, it's 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 kind of the point where like I t- chat with my fiance and I'm like, well, we're like we're good now. If things go up, that's great. Maybe we can retire early, but we'll just kind of maintain this lifestyle and um, have a good life and and yeah, just keep living. It's 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 a lot of fun. It's worth it. Now, does she understand that you know if you get a creative idea and it involves her, that she's just gonna have to sacrifice and 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 be on the channel? Yep she's she's been on the channel a couple times, and there's some things where I'm like how would you feel about this? And she's like, nope, veto, veto. <laughs> but, but if it's to take her out hot, hot tenting or um, bring some wine in and hang out by a lake and and backpack, she's, she's all in for that. And she, her last year we went on a trip when I, when I went on the trip with my parents, her parents came along too. So that was a fun, fun, fun journey with each of us with our kind of parent in laws and um, getting out there. It's great. Yeah. She, she loves backpacking and, and hiking as well. See, that's why you Canadians are in the north. It goes so well. If you if we if we took a a, a, a man and his girlfriend and their parents out on a hiking trip in America, that'd be a, that'd be a, the the setting for a, a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, things would go things would go south quick. You could probably base an entire Netflix reality TV show around around that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Hey, uh, speaking of paying the bills, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsors. We're going to come back and we're going to hear about some uh, stories from the trail. Not only the Great Divide Trail, but uh, you got some other experiences too I want to delve into. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back.
From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Through hiker owned Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. And welcome back. We are talking to Justin Hick, who does not have a trail name currently and is really hoping it's not going to be something like Poo Splosion. Um, <laughs> we heard a little about your background. Uh, we did the hiking pole. Let's talk about some time out there on the trail now. I know you already mentioned uh, a little bit about the Great Divide Trail. How long is the Great Divide Trail? So that's seven, a little over 700 miles. 1100 to 1200 kilometers um it, it's kind of like it kind of varies because you finish the trail in the middle of nowhere at a lake and then you have to hike 60 to 70 miles out from the lake to get to a road so they, they kind of finished in a weird spot um and yeah that that was that was kind of it was it was kind of anticlimactic anticlimactic almost like you finish and you're like yeah i'm done and then there's just no no one around you have to hike for another day um but yeah <laughs> beautiful ending yeah, not quite as bad as the the John Muir Trail where you finish on top of Mount Whitney, and you're like, okay, I'm <laughs> finished. But you're you're on top of you know the highest mountain in the lower 48, and you still got to get down and hike hike another nine miles into uh, Lone Pine. So, yeah, I, I can imagine. So you're you're up there, and like, have, have you? I imagine you probably hiked up to to Mount Whitney. Then it's yeah. It's how's the air at fourteen thousand feet? Like it it is slow moving. Let me tell you. You know, I'm, I walk 50 yards, need to take a break, you know, walk another 50, take a break. I can't imagine how these guys are doing Everest or, or even Everest base camp or yeah. Kilimanjaro. I mean, th- that, that air has got to be really difficult. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. That's on my list. At some point I'd like to do a 14,000, maybe from death Valley up to Mount Whitney. I think that's the lowest to highest point in the, in the connected us. So that'd be, that'd yeah, be kind of neat. I think they have a trail race that does that. Are you a, are you a runner? 
I, I'm, I, I like to run. I like to get out on, especially trail running. It's a little bit more fun than, than road running. <laughs> yeah. Death Valley to the top of Whitney. Sounds like a good time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> especially for someone who's never been at that elevation before. It'll be, it'll just go peachy. <laughs> so Justin, what, what kind of prep did you do leading up to the great divide trail? So I, I did a, I did a lot of prep because I hiked it like relatively fast. Most people hike it in about two months. I hiked it in a month. So I was averaging, um, over, over 20 miles, over 25 miles, I think a day, it was about 37 kilometers a day. Um, with a lot of elevation, it's 160,000 feet of elevation gain over the course of the trail. And as I was in the gym doing squats and deadlifts and calf raises, really kind of working on my legs in the mornings. And then every afternoon I was going out for, for runs. Um, and during the day I, I had a walking treadmill that I set my lap work laptop on. So I'd be walking on the treadmill with my pack on respond to emails. Um, so it did a lot of training and it, it paid off. I was able to hit the ground running and didn't get, um, too injured over the course of the trail. Cause I, I set with the great divide trail, you're set. Like you have your, you have to book all your campsites ahead of time. There's not like a permit for the entire trail and you have to stick to that. So as I, I couldn't miss it, I couldn't be moving days around or anything like that. Yeah. I talked to Bridget Scott, wife of Mark Scott, also Canadian. And we talked about their trip on the great divide trail and the process for booking those permits. She had four or five different friends set up on like seven or eight different devices, all ready to log in and, and book campsites uh, through the system. It sounded absolutely bonkers have they improved the canadian permit system at all since then no it's 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 the same i think if if anything the, the way it's improved is that it's it's now like a queue system so it's more just random luck it's not so much like is my computer going to crash or is the system going to crash it's basically you get you get in the queue you get your spot maybe you win the the lottery and you get a good like a high number or maybe you don't um so at least it's it's a little bit more fair in that sense, but the more, the more computers you have, the more slots you have and the more, the higher the odds of getting a good spot. So I, I was doing the same thing. I think I had like 15 computers and phones ready to, to go. And I, I, I got lucky. I got a sub 1000 spot. So I was able to book all of my, all my campsites without any issues. Hey, things were looking up for you. Yeah, that was yeah. <laughs> Looking north. <laughs> Looking north. That's right. That's right. Now you did a lot of prep. I mean, that is serious training before your your hike started. What do you say to those folks out there who say, guys, it's just walking? You're just walking out there. I mean, you, what do you need to train for? Yeah, I, th- I think I'd I'd point them to the stat of the number of people who are unable to finish probably the, the Great Divide Trail, like all the all the long trails really. I think the Great Divide Trail has like a 20% finish rate, which I think lines up with the other long trails pretty, pretty accurately. There are only, only about a hundred people a year start the great divide trail versus like 6,000 on the PCT or whatever it is. But <laughs> so not, yeah. yeah, not a lot of people finish it every year. Yeah. That percentage that tracks, that does track with the completion rate for the others as well. So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter how many are out there. I mean, that, that it, it still speaks to how difficult it is. Yeah. And I think the number, the number one thing that brings people off trail is injury. So if, if you're not prepped, you're, you're more likely to be part of that stat of getting, getting injured and having to get off trail. And I, I think, I think you can do it in a way where you, you don't need to train, but you're probably starting 
you're, you're having to accommodate really low mileage at first in order to build your body up to it. Um, and that's because uh, eventually your body just becomes a walking machine. And I, I remember when I got off the Great Divide Trail, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll just I'll go for a run. I ran about one kilometer before my body shut down and my knees were, and my ankles and my back were like, nope, I'm not a runner. I'm a, I'm a walker. You <laughs> take me home. <laughs> That's right. Now, speaking of injuries on the trail, what do you carry in your pack to account for anything you might get injured out there? I pretty, pretty basic stuff. Like I've, I've ibuprofen, but I don't take that. I take that as like, if I am injured in order to get out, it's, it's more of like a, like a self rescue tool for me. Like I, I try, I don't try to, I try not to mask injuries at all because that, just usually makes them makes them worse um so i carry that for self-rescue and then that's that's about it like if i if i have like some sort of cut or something like that i have some band-aids um for that i also carry athletic tape um that's and leuco tape leuco tape for the blisters and athletic tape in ca- if i roll an ankle or hurt a joint in some way then i can at least like wrap it and brace it in order to again self self-rescue but yeah there's there's not a lot of scenarios out there i think where I'd be able to get injured and then stay on trail. It, that'd be, that'd be tough. So it's mostly things to be able to get off trail if I need to. Got it. Got it. Now, did you hike it solo or did you do it with a buddy or buddies? I hiked it solo. Wow. And was this your yeah. first serious through hiking experience? That, that was my longest trip before that seven, eight days was the lo- the longest I'd been, been out on trail. So yeah, 30 30 days was and it ended up being 36 days, I think was the, the, fi- the final count. Okay. So you show up to the trailhead and what's going through your mind. What are you, what are you expecting from this experience? Are you going in fully confident knowing you've got this nailed or, you know, what's running through your mind? Yeah. yeah that was, I, th- I think at the time I was just kind of ready to start and, and kind of just see what the trail had to throw at me and, and, and what my capabilities were going to be. I'd, um, I'd spent about the, like the previous year, I'd done a lot of therapy for a lot of, a lot of different things, but part of it was expectation management and dealing with expectations and trying not to have ex basically trying not to have expectations that can then either be like, it, it, yeah, bad, bad, bad explanation. But that really, I think helped with the trail as well as I, I talk, I, t- I, I, I videoed the the entire experience i talked in the videos on trail about my mental mental health state and how therapy really kind of helped um get me through a lot of different things as far as with resilience and everything but uh, yeah at, at that start point i was just I was, i'd put in so much prep i was just kind of ready to get things going and and hope that there's nothing unexpected that would take me out off the trail and yeah definitely definitely started dealing with Definitely dealt with like the imposter syndrome or like fear of failure and things like that throughout the trip. Um, but at the beginning, it was it was mostly mostly positive um, and and excitement more than anything. All right, lots to unpack right there. Um, yeah. Expectations <laughs> are so important in whatever we do, right? Run, mm-hmm. If it's running, if I'm out on a run and I'm running five miles, and then somebody tells me, "No, no, you got to do seven. I can do seven. But the fact that I, I started out with the expectation of doing five, I mean, I'm ruined. I, I it, it, It's so bizarre, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think if you go in with too high of expectations on something or too low of expectations, uh, it can just absolutely ruin the experience. 
And so being able to manage your expectations and, and kind of uh, leaning into the unknown, I think is, is an important skill. Exactly. That's a, that's a great way to phrase it, leaning into the unknown and accepting that there's unknowns and things out of your control. I think that's, that, that's, that's, a, that's a key thing for me is I, I tend to like to have control over situations. And when there's things out of my control, that's when it starts giving me anxiety and, and things like that. So yeah, being able to just accept that I, I've prepared as best I can for this. There's things that are out of my control. Let's just kind of let it ride. It was, was, it was very freeing. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. You and I are a lot alike. I, I like structure as well. I like to plan stuff. I think that's half of the fun. Sounded like when you, yeah. you took the leap from environmental engineer to YouTuber, you had it all spreadsheeted out. You had it all planned, uh, trying to account for every, every, uh, possibility. And you can do the same thing with a hike. You can plan it down. You, you, can, you can get down to the minute details of a hike, but you have to realize, and those folks who are listening, who are planners, who are structured like, like me and Justin, and you're getting ready to go on a, a big hike. You have to realize that as soon as you set foot on the trail, that plan can go out the window. You know, you have to be able to be flexible and adjust because things change. Things don't go per plan out there. Exactly. Yeah. And that was part of the reason why I trained because I knew there's a lot of aspects that are out of my control. That was something that I could control that would likely buffer if things started going wrong. Like if I needed to, if I hit some sort of obstacle that was going to take up more time, I knew if, if I trained properly, then I'd be able to make up that time the next day and, and kind of account for it that way. But yeah, you, you never know. You can um, encounter a stream that you can't, a river that you can't cross, or you could get charged by a grizzly bear and um, lose your pack or something like that. Speaking from experience on that one. I, I was charged by a grizzly bear on the great divide trail. That was, that was probably the craziest experience that, that I had when I was, when I was out there because it, it got within 10, 10 feet of me. Um, I sprayed it with bear spray and luckily we both were able to run away from each other in the opposite directions. But, um, it, it's intent was to, to kill me when it charged. It wasn't bluff charging. It wasn't trying to scare me. It was, I'm going to rip your head off and, and then eat you. <laughs> and so was the bear spray in your pack? Was it on your belt? How did that work? So I kept it in my side pocket. Um, the pack that I used was the Zerk 40 and it has like really accessible side pockets. It's that's, that's kind of a, a deal breaker for me with packs. Now, if they don't have a accessible side pocket, then I, that's where I like to keep my water bottle. That's where I kept my bear spray. And um, I was able to just reach back, grab it, flick off the safety and and spray it within about four seconds that I took from it seeing me and me seeing him to the charge. But I, I knew I was in bear like the entire time I knew when I kind of knew when I was in bear country and um, I'd read the book Bear Attacks by Stephen Herrero as as a, as a environmental scientist. So I knew kind of what bear habitat looked like. So I, I knew I was in bear habitat. So I, when I'm in that kind of scenario, I'm always reaching back, making sure that I know exactly where my bear spray is, where my finger needs to go into it um, in order to be able to like, yeah, deploy it as quickly as possible. So Justin, I have to ask the question because I, I I know I know your personality type. You know, I feel like we're, we're close right now. I've been with you in the shower as you've been practicing the bidet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, if, if you took that kind of prep time to you know learn how to use the bidet, wh what kind of practice did you do with with the bear spray? So I was, I was lucky for work. Um, we had to do bear bear training, like bear awareness training and and bear encounter training. So I had 
used um like practice bear spray multiple multiple times when i was when i was going through that training so um i'd probably put in as much if not more time with bear prep than i did with bidet prep so i i'd I'd say they're they're close to being on par but the bear may edge out the uh the bidet as far as difficulty and and prep that's needed okay your score just went up two points because you identified bears are a little more important than bidets (laughs) slightly (laughs) slightly just slightly (laughs) yeah all right i'm wiping my butt more than i'm encountering bears on trail so (laughs) right but the 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 danger the, the ramifications of a failed bidet uh, experience as opposed to a failed bear experience. I mean, those are very different places. Well, it's, it's yeah, yeah. You have to have your risk ma- management balance, uh, like the, the likelihood of something happening. And then the consequences, if that happens, that, that all goes into the risk management formula. And uh, yeah, I've, I've only been charged by a bear once where I've wiped my butt hundreds of times. So I, the, the, the likelihood of that happening is very high. The consequences might be a little bit lower potentially right. consequences. <laughs> that was the word I was looking for. Consequences are very, <laughs> very different. Chafe and dead is, you know, that's two opposite uh, ends of the spectrum. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So when you got off trail, when you, when you finished, when you end up at that lake, you know, what, uh, what'd you learn about yourself on that trail? I th- I think I-, I had a lot of gratitude for the ability to do that trail and 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 finish it. That was that was a like that last day as I was finishing up. That was what was going through my mind a lot. It was just like I'm in a very fortunate position to be able to like have this opportunity to be able to do this um, from from like a circumstantial standpoint, but as well as just like a bodily ab- ability standpoint, uh, mental ability standpoint, and. Yeah, I was, I was just kind of, I was just thankful and grateful that I was able to finish the finish the trail at that point in time, um, and get and get through it. So it was, yeah, it was a special moment in that way. Just, just really kind of all that hitting home. Yeah. Now you you've also had some experience on a much shorter trail, which maybe some of our viewers or listeners have seen on the show alone. It's called the West Coast Trail, and it's on Vancouver Island. Yeah, that's it's it's yeah much shorter, about 50, 50 miles, seventy kilometer long trail, but it's it's right along the coast. Um, you're hiking on beaches for about half the trail. The rest of it's in the rainforest, so you're climbing up and down ladders. Uh, and and like you said, yeah, it's that that area was on alone, and people might remember like Jim Baird eating slugs, um, during that season, and you encounter a lot of slugs. I can attest that those slugs are not being planted by producers. They're they're out there, and you can. You can eat them. I haven't, I haven't eaten one myself, but they're, they're there. Now, if you were going to eat a slug, do you eat it raw? Do you cook it? How does that, how does that work, Justin? I'd, I'd probably eat it raw. I imagine if you tried to cook it, it would probably, the insides would probably boil and then explode. So you may, may maybe heat it up, but I feel like then it would just kind of be like a, a warm slug instead of just a cold slug. I, I don't know what the best bet is there. <laughs> Push comes to shove. Do you eat a slug? If your life depends yeah. on it. I do use slug. Yeah, there's 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 not much I wouldn't I wouldn't do, I don't think. Like I, I have a pretty tough stomach and um I I, I won't stand next to a cliff. I've extreme fear of heights, but I'll, I'll eat a slug. Justin, I'm gonna call BS on that because you, you told us earlier if you're cold soaking, you gotta stand at the end of the line. where do you That's have not to me stand? though? <laughs> where do you have to stand if 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 you're eating a slug? 
yeah you're you're uh you're not even allowed on trail at that point i guess probably it's <laughs> those landmines are a little bit bigger and a little bit a little bit more oh, explosive <laughs> sorry guys slugs last night apologies yeah <laughs> <laughs> now any i mean i heard when i was watching alone they, they said that that was the, the vancouver island had the highest density of cougars and black bears anywhere on the planet is that is that uh hold true did you have any of those experiences out there that that checks out. There is there is I saw black bears. I've hiked the trail twice now. I've saw, seen black bears both times. Um, there's always black bear warnings. They're they're kind of cruising around. Black bears don't scare me near me as nearly as much as as grizzly bears. Most of the time, they're just big big dogs um, trying to scavenge for food, and they're they're way more scared of us than uh, than we are of them. So yeah, no 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 big issues there. But it's. Outside of the wildlife, it, it's a dangerous trail. There's the, the stat is that there's a rescue off that trail every single day that it's in operation. And when I was there last year, um, I was there for for five days and saw seven or eight helicopters that were rescuing people because it was it was raining, so people are falling off ladders. Someone got impaled on a branch. Um, yeah, it's 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 a rough trail. Now you went through extensive bear training, as you you said before. A different approach when you encounter a black bear versus a grizzly bear. What are you supposed to do in each situation? Yeah, so with with the black bear, it's it's really trying to make yourself not seem like like prey because if if they're trying to get you, usually they're hungry and they're gonna they're gonna they're trying to trying to eat you. Um, they might be protecting your young, but mostly if you if you're if you're big and scary and um, noisy they're probably just going to run away and and not want anything to do with you where with a with a grizzly bear if you they're they're not going to be scared like you're not going to be big enough you're not going to be able to get big enough stand on a log or raise your arms in the air and your trekking poles and and be big enough to scare a grizzly bear away um so at that point you're you're having to rely on your on your bear spray but the best approach is is preventative measures with the grizzly bear and, and and black bears. If you're making a lot of noise as you're walking down the trail, being aware where the, if the wind is coming in your face, whether you're next to streams. So that was the issue with me when I was on the great divide trail encountered the grizzly bear I was walking up uphill next to a stream with the wind blowing in my face. So it couldn't sense me coming at all. Otherwise it probably would have taken off um, before I startled it, but it was in a berry bush came around a corner, startled it and then it, it charged. But yeah, I, Grizzly bears definitely just just try and avoid them as much as possible and have bear spray if you can. Yeah, you don't want to. You never want to surprise a bear because you never you never know what's going to happen in that surprise situation. Be noisy, uh, be be cognizant of which way the wind is blowing, and if if you do come across a grizzly, you surprise a grizzly, you don't have bear spray. What is the preferred method of survival? That's that's to to play play dead, not be a threat to it. Um, if it's going to eat you, you hope that it gets full before you're, you're dead. That's kind of kind of, or, or try and fight it, but you're probably not gonna be able to fight it off. If it's hungry enough to, to eat, you can try, but um, maybe, maybe if you have a knife or something like that, but a lot of times just protect your neck, protect, try and keep on your belly so that your vital organs are, are protected. Um, and then hope, hope it kind of wanders off. And there's, there's, there's been reports of, of people like having, part of their arm eaten by a bear and then being able to call for help and then and surviving um if, if people want some like really good information but some grizzly stories about bears the the book bear attacks by steven herrero is pretty solid he basically analyzes every bear encounter over the last 
like hundred years, um, all the deaths and negative encounters as well as what's worked for people surviving. And there's a lot of very, very good info in there. What a horrifying statement. You hope that it gets full before you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. That's stuff. Yeah, it's, nightmare it's intense. Right there. I, I don't know yeah, if I can play exactly. dead while something's gnawing on me. Uh, apparently you kind of go into a, like the, there's some interviews in the books with people who survived and like people talk about how they're in their, their safety position with, and the bear, they can, they can hear and feel the teeth grinding against their skull as the bear kind of like bites their head. But for most bears, their mouth isn't big enough to crush your skull. So they're only able to kind of chew, chew on your head, but never actually like crush your skull. Okay. Let's uh, <laughs> let's move on from from the West Coast Trail. Have you done anything international? So I've I last um, last summer, my fiance and I, Steph, we hiked the Tour de Mont Blanc in France. Uh, so that was yeah, amazing trail. Starts in Chamonix, um, then hikes through Italy, Switzerland, and then back back to Fr- Chamonix in France. And it, it was it was a very different trail than what you encounter in the Canadian Rockies here and, and a lot of places I've backpacked in the States, but very, very fun, very interesting and, and kind of, kind of wild in its own right. Well, tell us about the difference. I mean, what, what, what can we expect differently out on, on Tour de Mont Blanc? So it's, it's just way more developed. Um, so you, you can encounter a town almost every day or at least every other day when you're on trail there's there's little like hostels they call they call them refugios so you can you'll, you'll hit those multiple ones a day and you can camp you can stay in those so some people they'll hike the entire trail and not bring a tent at all and they'll just stay in the refugios they'll get their meals provided for them it can be pretty pretty cushy um we we did half camping half refugios just to kind of get the full full experience and then halfway through, you hit kind of another major town and you can stay at like a hotel there, resupply. Uh, and it's even the mountains are different. Like the mountains aren't as rugged as we have here in North America. I think they're they're like they're older mountains, maybe. So there's grass, grass everywhere on all the mountains. So it's it's like, um, yeah, it, it's it, when you picture like European mountains, it's, it's exactly what it looks like. Whereas here we have just like rock, rock everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen pictures. It's absolutely gorgeous, and that really sounds like glamping to me. I mean, if you can mm-hmm. if you can plan every day to end up in a in a hostel or a pub uh, with a pint in your hand, I mean, how how difficult could it be? Exactly. And Steph and I, we we got lucky that on most of our days around two o'clock in the afternoon, we'd hit we'd hit we were just hitting these refugios, and we'd have like a, a beer, sit sit on the on their patio and and have a beer, and then continue with our hike. <laughs> It backfired a couple times where we did that, and then we had like two thousand feet of elevation to gain, and <laughs> lugging a beer up that was wasn't the most pleasant. <laughs> we took a sixer with you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I've heard similar similar commentary about uh, the Camino, the Camino de Santiago. Same thing. Um, lots of lots of places to stay, uh, lots of places to eat, have a drink. Um, just a, a very different different pace and experience from uh, life in the, in the Canadian Rockies or, or in the U S on the trails. Exactly. Yeah. If, if you want remoteness, it's, it's not the place to go, but I, th- I think what, what I really liked about it was, was you get that cultural experience with it because you are seeing people and you're in towns and these little, little Swiss towns are, are really, really quite neat. Um, but then also if, if you're someone who maybe 
is on the older side or you, you're not physically able to carry a tent and all the the full, full amount of gear that you need for back to backpack you can hike the tour de mont blanc with probably about 10 to 15 pounds total in your pack and and be able to kind of do the trail a lot more easily 10 to 15 pounds i mean you could do you could do uh you know zero degrees fahrenheit that with uh, with your kit <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Now we're going to drag Steph into the conversation. That's all right. Yeah. So I know Mrs. Doc, Mrs. Mrs. Doc is, is my wife, obviously Mrs. Doc. She refuses to go on any experience that requires her to poop in a hole. Right. Mm. And so uh, Steph, similar minded, did she use the bidet? Is she more toilet paper or wipes? Uh, I mean, is she, is she all in it like you or is, does she have some, some definite set points where she, she will not cross? So, so she'll, she'll poop in the hole, um, but she's on the toilet paper, wet wipe, um, system still. I, I, I just haven't really kind of introduced her to the bidet fully yet. I wanted to make sure I had it really dialed in first before kind of bringing, bringing that into our relationship. Um, that's, I feel, I feel like the, that that's one of those things where it's teaching someone how to wipe their butt is that's intimate. We're, we're we're getting married in June, so in in one month, almost one month uh, from today, we're going to be married, and maybe that's something that we'll save save for marriage. Well, congratulations! That's probably wise that you you save that little secret till till after you you got her to say I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, what what are the what are the plans for the wedding? Are you are you going to be up in the Canadian Rockies somewhere on some beautiful vista, or is it more traditional? It'll be more traditional. We're we're gonna be in town here, um, just to make it easy for all our friends and family to be able to to get here. Um, I I proposed to her on a mountaintop, so well on a, on a volcano top. So we got, we got that part um, covered as far as as far as the marriage uh, sequence goes. Fantastic. Now you've done a little time in the states as well. I see I see on here on our list U.S. deserts. You desert hiking and mountain hiking very different experiences very different but it, it's 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 kind of in line with like I, I like to be pushing my limits all the time and kind of moving the needle and i i feel like i've i've like like i said i've i've gone down to very cold temperatures i've hiked i haven't gotten to extreme elevation because we don't have that here but i've hiked some some of the bigger mountains here um and i just want to kind of test myself so a couple of years ago i started going down to arizona um the Las like las vegas nevada area and doing some some backpacking around there and and really fell in love with it but it's it, it's a different skill set um you really need to be on the ball with water and heat management in order to stay safe so and that's something i've never had to deal with before there's water all over the place here um and yeah it's uh, the arizona area is probably one of my favorite places that i've backpacked in the superstition mountains it it's not classic classically beautiful necessarily but it has a vibe to it that's just very spiritual almost. I, I really enjoy getting down there. Nice. Now, speaking of deserts and desert hiking, any any desire to do something like the Pacific Crest Trail with the first 700 miles uh, is desert? I, th- I think I think the if I was going to do any of the long trails, it would probably be the Pacific Crest Trail at this point. It might be a, 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 with the amount of people that are on it these days, it might be a little busy for me. So I might prefer the continental divide trail it might be a little bit more up my alley in line with the great divide trail as far as people like still having a community around it but not a ton of people all the time um but then again i'd be i'd be open to 
to kind of having that more community, large amount of people experience at the same time. I'm, I'm an introvert, but it would be interesting to like have a tramley and, and all that kind of thing. I think it'd be, it'd be, yeah, it'd be fun. It'd be interesting. Yeah, You missed out on a tramley with the, with the uh, great divide trail. Yeah. It was just me, me, myself and I out there, the three of us just hiking down the trail. <laughs> Made some from, for some interesting conversation, I bet. Oh yeah. It's a lot of singing, a lot of singing as we, uh, we hike together. Yeah. And, and do you know the words, all the words to, uh, some songs out there? I, I got there because I, I had I had earbuds, so I'd listen to some songs, and then um, I I know enough to kind of like be annoying. Like I can sing like the the chorus of a bunch of different songs, um, and I just repeat that over and over. And I, I annoyed myself to be honest. Like I'd be singing the same chorus and just get stuck in my head. And I don't know if this happens to you where you get to a rhythm, but the rhythm is like a song, and then you just are constantly singing the exact same song, the exact same like lyrics over and over as you're hiking because you're just in that rhythm in the zone. Yeah, you get stuck. You absolutely get yeah. stuck. And I realized, I quickly realized that I don't know the words to the complete words to any one song except for happy birthday. I know that one by heart, nice. but the rest <laughs> of them, I'm, I'm with you. I'm singing the chorus the whole time and it, I feel stupid. Yeah, exactly. I, I know, I know free falling that that's, I know most of the words to free falling and that, that that was that was okay <laughs> okay so i know the next big adventure for you is happening in a month with your upcoming wedding to stephanie uh what is the bex the bex the next big uh, outdoor adventure for you the next big outdoor adventure it's, it's kind of up up in the air right now so we're getting married and then I'll, i'm just gonna be i'm gonna be sticking around the canadian rockies for the rest of the summer um doing a bunch of some, some trips that have been on my bucket list, like some two nighters, three, three nighters, um, around, around here that I'm really excited for. And then we're, we're heading to the Philippines for our honeymoon. Um, probably, probably do some, some hiking around there, but I, yeah, I think nothing, nothing too crazy. Just like kind of the, just the usual weekend warrior stuff, um, for the next while. I think I want to get Steph down to Arizona and just have her experience, that area next winter, especially when it's minus 30 here, it's nice to get down to, to some warmer temperatures over January, February. See, that's, that's when going South is actually a positive thing, right? Yeah. The warmer weather. Exactly. And that's, there's a, there's a large amount of Canadians in the Phoenix area, Florida and Phoenix there. There's Canadians everywhere. When I go hiking in, in outside of Phoenix, half the people I meet are Canadian because they're, they're retirees there. Um, and they go, I usually go during the week. So they're, they're hiking in the, in the mountains too. And it's like, Hey, Hey, sorry, excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, Justin, you know where we are right now? Where are we? Hiking hacks. That's right. Oh, the We're at that time hacks. of the episode where you get to share your hiking hack with our listeners. Uh, some bit of trail wisdom, some knowledge to make our, our listeners' next outdoor experience even better. What do you have for us? Did you already use it up by mistake? I I, I haven't. I haven't used it up. And I'm not sure how how common knowledge this one is. I, I don't hear it talked about very often. Um, so yeah, uh, hopefully, hopefully it's a, a useful hack for the for the listeners out there. And that's when you get to camp, maybe maybe you've been sweating a lot in your in your shoes. Maybe you've just recently had to like do a, a water crossing or something like that. And that's taking your socks off and then taking the insoles out of your shoes and then wearing your shoes 
barefoot without socks or insoles. All three, everything's going to dry better in that scenario. Your insole, your shoes are going to dry within the hour, probably. Your feet are going to be drier and happier and healthier. Your socks and your insoles are going to dry out and probably stink less as well. I like to also just like give my socks a little bit of a rinse to get the grit and everything out of there. Um, so yeah, that's that was a something I did on the Great Divide Trail every every day. Wash my socks and take my feet, my insoles and socks out of my shoes, and it it really kept my feet in good shape. That is fantastic. We have not heard that one yet, so I'm glad that you're able to drop that on us. Fantastic. Nice. That's great. <laughs> All right. So there you have it. We are just about done here. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Justin. Want to thank you for joining us this week. Justin, how can our Thanks listeners keep me. up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? So every, everything's probably the best place is probably to head to the the main YouTube channel, Justin Outdoors. Um, and if people want to check out the podcast, it's uh mostly about gear but it's the gear priority podcast with justin outdoors it's on spotify apple everywhere like that um yeah really if you like to nerd out about gear we we get pretty pretty nerdy i am i am as soon as we're done here i'm subscribing outstanding what can people what can people expect to find on your youtube channel um a lot of stuff about gear but a lot of trips as well um i usually i'm usually out every week on on a trip and then i'll probably post about a quarter of them to, to my YouTube channel, uh, depending on how, how interesting they are. So if they want to see some desert hiking, some pretty, ex, as we talked about extreme winter camping, um, in the Canadian Rockies, then there's some good trips on there and then some, some tips and tricks about gear. Okay. Well, Hey, remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Justin, no TikTok yet. I am on TikTok as well. TikTok and Instagram, but I'm, I'm, I'm I'm working on them. I'm not a great TikToker. <laughs> yeah. My my daughter half calf. She said, "Dad, you got to get on TikTok. That's where all the cool people are." So uh, I started a TikTok account, and I, I really feel out of my element. So we'll, same we'll here. I'm right with there with you. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamure at gmail dot com. Off the beaten path. Now, unfortunately, we can't always be on the trail, and when we're not, we need to find a way to get our adventure fixed. So, Justin, I'm going to ask you to share some outdoor adventure media with our listeners to help them get by. This could be a book, a movie, documentary. We call this segment Off the Beaten Path. What do you have for us? Um, so the the book, the the big, I think it's called Big Wild. Um, was is really is really interesting. It, it's 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 like an outdoor based book for a guy backpacks from um, Yellowstone all the way up to, uh, I think the Yukon border, but it's really, really cool adventure gets into some trouble, solves his problems and really pushes his limits. It's, it's a great book. And did he read that, that, uh, grizzly bear book by Herrero before going? I, I, I don't know if he had some encounters with grizzly bears and yeah, they, they, they went better than mine, but still, still pretty, pretty sketchy. Wow. Do you know Chattahoochee? You follow that account? I don't Chad, know. It's Chad Lubinsky. He has a, he goes by Chattahoochee on all his social media. And I think it was him that I was talking to. He heard a bear outside of his tent and he pulled his his uh bear spray. His tent flap was open and he saw the bear there and he went to spray it and it hit the flap of the tent and sprayed, you know, bounced back on him. So oh, we know. We talked about you no know, different ways to deploy bear spray. I mean, there's the alpha way where you can spray the bear. Or there's the beta way where you you spray yourself down with bear spray and make yourself really unappealing. <laughs> that was the method. Yeah, hopefully, accidentally. Yeah, yeah, and not just 
seasoning yourself. <laughs> seasoning. <laughs> what have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, just one more segment for you called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? What do we miss tonight? Oh, that's a that's a good question. We we covered a lot. We went through a lot of a lot of different things. I think I I, I think um if if I could encourage people to 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 try a bidet, I I know we talked about a bidet, but if I could encourage people to talk to to um to try a bidet and then research leave no trace a little bit more, I think I think there's a lot. I think most people are familiar with the leave no trace principles. If you're not, definitely go check out lnt.org um familiar familiarize yourself with their principles they have a lot of good tips and tricks out there but even taking things to the next level like using a backcountry bidet i also use reusable um like snack bags now just so i'm not using as many ziploc bags when i'm out on trail so um try to do just those little things just to to help help our help our environment and make sure the trails are there for for a long time well said well said all right we are finished thanks for coming on the podcast justin we wish you the very best in your future adventures and your upcoming nuptials. We hope you'll co- consider coming back at some point and sharing some more epic stories. As we close up, any shout outs to friends and family? Oh, just maybe shout out to my, my fiance. Looking forward to getting married to her. Nice. All right. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you had to suffer through a major poo explosion and things went south. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.